Amen. Please remain standing as I read the scripture for this morning. It comes from Matthew 4 and verses 12 to 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word. Amen. Let's begin our uh, time together in prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and whom you raised again from the dead to be our Savior and Lord. Forgive us, we pray, for the sinful things that we have thought, that we have said, and that we have done. Forgive us for Christ's sake, we pray. And now as we study the scriptures, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. As we open our hearts to your word, may he lead and guide us into all truth. And for myself, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my King and my Redeemer. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. This section of the book of Matthew generally has a title such as Jesus Begins to Preach or Jesus Begins His Galilean Ministry, or as my Romanian Bible puts it, Isus la Capernaum, which means Jesus at Capernaum. But our title is different. It is Christ the King Brings God's Kingdom to Earth. And that is because our study of the book of Matthew is a study about Christ the King. It is more than just a study about his his life, his deeds, and his teachings. It's, more importantly, a study about him, the fact that he's our King. And we even have posters up on the side of the of the sanctuary, declaring our, our theme for, um, for our study of Matthew. Now, these early chapters in the book of Matthew, we clearly see the character of our Lord Jesus. His character is the character, character of one who exemplifies Christian living, kingdom living. If we would know what it means in practice to be a subject of the kingdom of God, we need to begin by studying Christ his character, his life, and his, his example. As he lived in subjection to God, he brought the kingdom of God to earth in a practical way. Now, let me repeat that. As Christ lived in subjection to his heavenly Father, he brought the kingdom of God to earth, and it was through his subjection And it is through our subjection to God that God's kingdom comes in practice. And this is what we will be studying this morning. So this is how we will divide our Bible lesson for today. 
First, we will study the character of Christ. Secondly, we will look at his qualifications. And thirdly, we will listen and hopefully apply the things that he taught in this passage of Scripture. But first of all, let's begin with a review of the things we have learned in recent weeks. And in addition, let me summarize our text for today. Now, this section of the book of Matthew begins with the baptism of John, starting in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And we studied that several weeks ago. Uh, Bruce Daggett, I believe, gave the message. In this passage, we see the message that John preached to his countrymen. He spoke plainly about sin and the necessity of repentance. He said that repentance needed, needed to be followed by uh, uh, works worthy of repentance, fruits worthy of repentance. He then pointed out to people that Christ was the one who would bring the true baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Spirit brings the new birth. And finally, he spoke of the judgment which was to come. So that was John's message to his countrymen. Now, the next several verses give us the history of the baptism of Christ. And this is what we heard last week. Now, starting in uh, with the baptism of John in verse 1 of chapter 3, all of these verses, the history there, the narrative of, of John the Baptist leads up to the point where Jesus comes to be baptized and John the Baptist asks, uh, says to him, why are you coming to me? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus responds by saying, let it be so now, for it is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now that is in found in verse uh, chapter 3, verses, um, what is it, um, 14 and 15. It says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then uh, next week, we're... Um, uh, we were delayed by a snowstorm, so we're one week behind, and I have to leave. So we're, we're going a little bit out of order. Next week, we will hear the message about the temptation of Christ. And it's necessary for us to know that our heavenly king was tempted in every way, just as we are tempted, and yet he was without sin. So that we can come with boldness to our king's throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, we will speak uh, more about this later. Now, Brandon told us in uh, uh, last time at the baptism, or at the uh, time when Christ was baptized, that Christ came and was baptized and identified with sinful people. Now, in the temptation of Christ we see that Christ himself was sinless. And as a matter of fact, his father testified to that. He said, uh, this is my son, whom I love, uh, in whom I am well pleased. So God testified to that, and in his temptation, we can see his sinlessness. Now, Brandon told us that in the, uh, in the baptism of Christ, it was one of his first acts is uh, first acts of redemption. It was part of his redemptive work. It is part of his redemptive work to identify with sinful men. And when he was on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. Now, he can do that. He can take our sins upon himself because he was sinless. If I died and said, I'm dying in your place, God would say, no, you're not. You're dying for your own sin. But Christ, you see, could die in our place because he was sinless. So you see, right here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we can begin to see his redemptive work. Okay. Now today, our study begins with 
with chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. In these verses, our king begins his ministry among a dark and ignorant people. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, The people which sat in darkness have seen a great light. Now, what was the message he gave to the people who were sitting in darkness? He preached to them that they needed to repent. Now, again, we will speak a little bit more about this later. Then as we continue on in in verses 18 through 22, our king chooses those who would become his apostles. Again, look at those whom he chose. He chose common, ordinary working men. Peter and Andrew, James and John were at the bottom of society. They were fishermen. Now, our faith is not just for the wise and learned, but it is for rich and poor alike. And the vast majority of people who are alive today or who have ever lived, as a matter of fact, are people who are poor, poorly educated, and impoverished. Poverty and ignorance of books exclude most from the notice of those who set the trends in our day, but they don't escape the notice of Christ. He came for them. He came to bring them eternal life. He came to reconcile them to God. And and his salvation and service are for all who would repent and believe the gospel. And he is able to save completely those who come to faith in him. Praise the Lord. And this is exactly what he did in the lives of these fishermen. He saved them completely. He used them in his service. Now, I want you to consider something. In Christ, we have a king who came from the poorest corner of the most despised country in the Roman Empire. He was a king who at 33 years of age was put to death as a malcontent by the Romans. He was hated by the leaders of his own people. The men he chose to lead his church were poorly educated working men. And the first converts were those who were slaves and in poverty. Just think about this. Think about our beginnings. The early church had to pool her resources and have all things in common. Why? It's because they were poor. The message he preached did not flatter the rich. It did not flatter the powerful or the great. It did not appeal to the carnal inclinations of man's heart. Our king was opposed by the religious and political leaders of his day, and his followers were persecuted for over three centuries. This is our beginnings. Now, why did Christ go to those who sat in darkness rather than the synagogues uh, of, of the self-righteous? Why did he go? go there? Why did he choose common working men to be his apostles? Why did he preach repentance to those who were conservative and orthodox in their beliefs and practices? He went because he did not go to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why he came. And I want you to consider something. How could such a religion as this have spread over the entire earth? It is contrary to everything that men do. He did it because he is the eternal king and his kingdom is the king of, kingdom of God. It's God who is in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And that's why we're here today. Not because we're clever or smart, but because Christ is the son of God And God was reconciling the world through him to himself. And this is the glory of our Christian faith and the glory of our king. Now, finally, in verses 23 through 25, we see the character of our king's work among men. Now, these verses here in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 4, verses uh, 23 through 25, you can see his works of mercy. And what was it that song we sing? What was the part of that song we sang on "Lead on, O King Eternal"? 
It's not with swords, loud clashings, or roll of drums, but with deeds of of kindness and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. And uh, as I was talking to someone in our church, they had invited someone to come to the Alpha course. And this this couple who uh, are coming to the Alpha course are coming because the church served them in acts of kindness, and they recognized it. So as we are, as we talked this morning, as we are interfacing, we're not monks, we're not in a monastery, but we're out in the world, we're meeting people, and it's through our, our kindness, our acts of mercy, and our Christian testimony, both verbal and in the things that we do, that God's kingdom comes to earth. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you a fisher of men. So these verses here in 23 through 25 are Jesus going about doing good. That's how Peter described them in his, when he was talking with Cornelius. And these miracles are given to show us the heart of our heavenly king, and they are also his messianic qualifications. Now, Jesus is the same today. He is just as willing to cleanse and forgive and heal today as he was 2,000 years ago. And we have testimonies of this. Our whole church is a testimony to these things. Now, now that we've summarized this section of Scripture, let me ask you what we have learned. We've learned that in his baptism, he made a decision to please God, and he identified himself with sinful men. In his temptation, we see that he was tempted and yet he was without sin. That we might come to his throne of grace in our time of need. And in his ministry, we observe that he went to a place of great spiritual need. And he commanded people to repent. And then he called common, ordinary men to come and serve with him. So that is uh, a summary of our text for today. Now, let to return with me to the focus of the things that I would like to speak about this morning. First of all, the character of our King, the character of the Lord Jesus. Secondly, the qualifications of our King, his qualifications as King, as our King and Messiah. And thirdly, the teachings of our king. Okay. Now, the character of our king was marked by his submission to God. Turn with me to uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And this is uh, part of what we read uh, about um, about his baptism. Let me find it first myself. Chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill, excuse me, all righteousness. Now, how did Christ's baptism fulfill all righteousness? The phrase is a little enigmatic especially to us who are modern uh, Americans. And that's because our society and our culture is organized around individuals. We organize our life around ourselves. And let me illustrate it in this way. Oh, it must be about 10 years ago now, uh, maybe more, maybe about 15 years ago now, I was speaking to a young Romanian Man, And all day while I was working with him, we had a project we were doing together, and all day while I was working with him, he was complaining about the Orthodox Church. So finally I said, listen, why don't you just come and worship with us? Why don't you just come to the Baptist Church and worship with us? And he said, no, I cannot. And I said, why? And he said, Mama is orthodox. Now, I didn't know what he meant. Why would that prevent him from coming to church? Is he afraid of his mother? It wasn't that. It was that, unlike us, the Romanians see themselves 
as a part of a family, as a part of a community, and as a part of a nation. That's their identity. So we make our choices depending upon how we feel, what we think is right, what we want to do. But they make their decisions based upon their families and upon their community and upon their upon their country, uh, their, their nationality. They say, we Romanians are one blood, we are one language, and we are one religion. That's who we are. So you ask a Romanian, well, you know, uh, you, you meet a, a young Romanian, and among us, if we, when we meet each other within the first 10 minutes, we say, hmm, uh, what do you do for a living? See, we, we take our identity from who we are and what we do. But the Romanians never ask you that question. They say, what village are you from? Well, your name is Popa and you're from this village? Okay, now we know who you are. So you see, it's completely different. Now, our Lord Jesus lived in a world like what we see in Romania. He was a member of a community. He was a Jew and the God of his fathers. And listen to this. The God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob was calling his chosen people to repent. So what did Jesus do? He went to the, he went to the Jordan to be baptized. Brandon said he identified with sinners. And he identified also with his own community. God is calling us as a community to repent. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to go to the river. And in so doing, he said, it was to fulfill all righteousness. Now, John the Baptist understood this and he baptized him. And God then vindicated him by saying, this is my son whom whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This is my son and I'm well pleased with him. So, what does this tell us about the character of our Lord? What does this tell us about him? Well, Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, summarize his character quite well. Let me read and paraphrase these verses for you. Let me read first. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does this mean? It means that even though Jesus was God, he did not think equality with God was a thing to retain. Let me read again. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death the death on a cross. Now, this means that he gave up everything. And taking the nature of a man, he became a servant. And we can see this in the very fact that he went to be baptized. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And during his life as a man here on earth, he humbled himself by being fully obedient to God. So when God called, the people of Israel, to repent and be baptized, Jesus presented himself. And he was obedient even to the point of his death on the cross. So in his baptism, we see that his character was one of obedient submission. All right, let's go on. Let's look at his temptation again. Now, Jesus did not use his divine attributes and his power for his own benefit. He did not think equality with God was something to be retained, but rather he came to earth as a servant and in submission to God. So what was Satan's temptation? What was the nature of it? He said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. What was he asking Jesus to do? Jesus was hungry. The text tells us that. So Jesus easily could have turned the bread, in, uh, the stones into bread. <coughs> Excuse me. But he didn't. 
his divine power was, he did not use his divine power in that way to please or to serve himself. I would never think of that. That's why I don't have that kind of divine power, I'm sure. One of the reasons, because I don't think that way. But Jesus thought that way. And listen to what he says in John chapter 5, verse 19. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, if there was anyone that ever lived who could justify taking his own initiative in his divine work here on earth, it would have been the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't you think so? The son, the very Son of God? Couldn't he have just looked at this man over here and said, I'm going to heal him? But that's not the way he used his divine power. He waited. And whatever he saw his father doing, that he did likewise. And this, was in the con- this, ver- this verse is in the context of the healing of the man by the pool. The impotent man who couldn't get up. He walked up to him and healed him. And he told the man, take your bed and go. So the man took his bed, his bed and, uh, and, and left. And because it was the Sabbath day, both the man and the Lord Jesus got in trouble because the man was carrying something on the Sabbath. He was working. And so Jesus said, wait a minute. My father is working up till now, and I too am working. And whatever I see the father do, that I do likewise. That's why he was healed. That's why this man was healed, and that's why he was healed on the Sabbath. So here, in the temptation, Satan is telling the Lord Jesus to take and use your power, not even for somebody else, but for your own benefit. And Jesus said, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And you know what? We saw this. We see this exact same temptation there at the cross. What did they say to him? They said to him, if... You are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. And the two thieves said, save, save yourself and save us also. But Jesus didn't use his power in that way. So he submitted himself and his work and his divine attributes to God. Now, This is, the, this is the issue in Christian work. Many of us have talents and gifts. The question is, are they submitted to God? That's the question. And when we work apart from him, all we do is tear down his kingdom. All right. Then for our, from our text for this morning, we observe our king's character in his subjection to God by his obedience to Scripture. Now, you're going to say, where did you get that? And I got that from chapter 4, right here in um, verse, uh, let's start in verse uh, 13. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that, that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now, did you catch that? Let's go back. So that what was spoken by... Why did Jesus uh, live in Capernaum? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now, my idea in the past was that Jesus went and uh, and lived in Capernaum and Shazam. Guess what happened? It fulfilled Scripture. But that's not the way it was. He knowing what God spoke about him in the scriptures went there to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied. Now, the point is, 
is that the Bible speaks about us. It speaks about us everywhere. Even something like John 3.16, For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten Son that if I would believe in him, I would not perish, but I would have eternal life. The whole Bible speaks that way about us. It's not just in the third person. It's also first person. It's speaking about me. And so living and making our decisions in life based upon what the scriptures say and what they say about us, that's living in subjection to God. So Jesus, his character, he lived as a man who was in submission to God. He submitted to him in um, the decisions he made in life. He submitted to him in how he used his his, uh, divine power here on earth. And he submitted to God in that he wanted to fulfill Righteousness. He wanted to be right with God. And so we see his character in all of these things. And then in verses 23 through 25, we see his acts of mercy, but we also see, <coughs> excuse me, his qualifications. Now, where are his qualifications in these verses? Okay, well, follow me. These verses, 23 through 25, are a summary of chapters 8 and 9. In chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, explains, he teaches about the kingdom. Then the text returns to the narrative about Jesus as he was working in, uh, in and around the Sea of Galilee. And in chapters 8 and 9, we see his miracles But we also see that Jesus not only healed men's bodies, but he also healed their souls and their spirits as well. Then in chapter 10, he sends out the apostles to to preach in all the villages and towns around the Sea of Galilee. So he sends them out on their first mission. They, They come back. And in chapter 11 we read something that's really quite interesting. Chapter 11 and um, verse 2. Let me begin in verse 2. Chapter 11, 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. Now, I have a little place in my brain where I file questions about things that I don't understand. I don't know if you have one of these places, but I got one. I put them in there so that it won't bother me because I would be bothered by something like this because I couldn't see for the longest time how Jesus' answer to those disciples who came from John. I I can't, are you the one to uh, who we are to, uh, uh, who is coming? And Jesus said, well, tell John what you see in here. I didn't see how that was an answer to their question. But the answer to their question comes from the prophets. And let me read to you uh, something from the book of Isaiah. If I can find my place here. Isaiah chapter 35. Thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, and we start with in about the middle of verse 4. That's 34. It 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Now, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He was God himself coming to earth. Then what does verse 5 say? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Okay. What's going to happen when God comes to save us? The deaf will hear. The blind will see. The lame will leap. Go and tell John what you both hear and see. And that's what they saw happening right there in their midst. Jesus was doing these very things. They were his qualifications. They pointed to him. As John, the apostle, says that his miracles were signs pointing people to who Christ was that they should believe in him. So these are his qualifications. Let's go then to John's, or the Lord, the message of the Lord Jesus. And let me find my place here in my, in my notes. I've been winging it here. Let's con- consider his message. First, to the people who were sitting in darkness, he commanded, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is the same message that he has for us today, to repent. And John, the Baptist, said when he called people to repent that that they should bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, worthy of repentance. Now, true repentance always leads to a changed life. If there's no change in life, there is no true repentance. Now, this is not my teaching. This is my quotation. I'm quoting. What did John say? He said, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. It's what the Apostle Paul taught in Acts chapter 26, verse 20. And let me start to to read in... um, Verse 19 here. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Okay? Now, we're saved by grace through faith alone, apart from any works. And I've been teaching this, this good news for, for uh, 30 years, over 30 years. I've been, I've been telling people about this. But we need to understand something, that the kind of faith and the kind of grace that saves us is not alone. Even though we're saved by grace through faith alone, it does not come alone. These things are accompanied by a changed life, repentance and a changed life. So, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, what does it say? It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, for we are created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, the faith that saves us, the grace that saves us, is followed by a changed life. That's not my teaching. This is the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And then the Apostle Paul also in Titus. One more one more. One more passage, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Listen to this. For the grace of God has appeared to all men, bringing salvation. Now, this is the grace of God that brings salvation. And what does it do? 
It trains us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That is true repentance. See, we are going from a life that's centered upon ourselves. Now we're turning to God in repentance. We're turning away from our sins, and we're turning to him, that we might live for him. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because one of the things that is so evident from returning back home from overseas is that many of my Christian brothers and sisters here in the United States are so lax and so loose in their Christian living. They think, I'm saved by grace through faith. And then they go on to live as they please. Let me tell you something. It's not true. What did verse 14 say? Look at verse 14 of Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That's why he died, to reconcile us and to bring us to God. Not so that we could live as we please, but so that we could live for him. That's why I brought it up. So what did Jesus teach? What did he preach to those who were sitting in darkness? He told them to repent. Now, what is, what exactly is repentance? Repentance is a change of heart and mind about ourselves and about Christ, which leads to a change of behavior in life. It is not just a change of behavior. In other words, it's not turning, making a New Year's resolution. It's not turning over a new leaf but it is first a change of heart and mind. Now, your, your heart and your mind change. I have a new desire now that I'm born again to live for God. And I also have a new power to live to do so. I have, now have a new power to live for him. And there is a great passage, a famous passage of Scripture that we all know that is a perfect example of repentance. And and it's found in Isaiah chapter 53. We all know Isaiah chapter 53, right? We all do. Lord, who has relieved our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, that passage. Now, if we go up one verse in chapter 52, verse 15, It says, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Now notice that the pronoun here is third person plural, they. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Now come to 53, verse 2, and look what happens. The pronouns change. Verse 2, he's talking about Christ now. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form nor majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, look at what's happened. The prophet now is, is, is talking about the kings of the earth. 
the Gentiles, they, they, they. But then he shifts focus and he begins to talk about we, we Jews. You know, we Jews, we didn't think much of Christ. He didn't have any form or comeliness that we uh, would think about him. He didn't look like a king. He didn't look like the Messiah. We thought that when he died on the cross, he was being judged by God. He was smitten by God. But then repentance and confession come into play. But he wasn't judged by God on the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. The chastisement that was upon him brought mercy to us. That's why he died. Their whole understanding of both themselves and about Jesus Christ changed. It's right here. We read it in Isaiah 53. So you see how the prophet goes from talking about someone in third person, then he begins to talk about himself and his own nation. And this is what happens when we repent and believe. We think Jesus was a good teacher. You know, he was a nice Jewish boy, but too bad for him. He got on the wrong side of the, of the people who were in power, and, you know, it wasn't a nice thing that happened, but, hey, these things happen. But then one day we see, we see wow, he was, he was bruised for me. By his stripes, I'm healed. I was like a sheep that was going astray. And the Lord laid on him my iniquity. Everything changes. Repentance brings a new mind and a new heart. Now, this didn't come from me. I was listening to John MacArthur and his uh, presentation of Isaiah 53. It was a, it's a great series if you can ever get a hold of it. But there it is. There, that's what repentance is. And that, then, you see, leads to a changed life. Now, what does this mean for us? It, most importantly, it means that repentance is not something for others or something that they need. It is something that we need, and especially it is something that I need. I need to change my mind about myself. When Christ went to the cross, he laid upon him my iniquity. And by his stripes, I am healed. And I need to change my mind and my heart about him. He is not just one before whom kings shall bow. He is the Lord God, our king, the one before whom whom every knee should bow. And that includes me. And this is repentance. And this is what it means to repent and believe the gospel. Then Christ said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now today, with the Alpha program, we are reaching out to our community. And our Christian culture today is full of good uh, programs and good ways and good methods of leading people to Christ. And we are grateful for them. I use the four spiritual laws all the time. I use, I use these things. But listen, the secret is, first of all, doing those things that we see the Father doing and doing them, and doing them ourselves. We follow him and his work. But then secondly, it's found right here in this verse. Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, we say, I don't have the gifts. I don't have the abilities. What will I say? What will I do? Well, you know what you do? You start by following Christ, and he will make you a fisher of men. Now, what does that mean? It means that in our character, we need to be those who seek to please God, just like Jesus did on the day he was baptized. It means that we need to use our gifts for the sake of not just to please ourselves, but for his sake. We need to use the things that we can, that we can do 
The gifts that we have, the gifts that he's given us, not for our own benefit or pleasure, but we need to use them for him. And thirdly, it means that we need to live in obedience to the scripture. We need to submit just like Jesus submitted. And when we follow him in this way, when we look, we can lift up our eyes and we will see him working in the lives of people around us. Jesus said, my father is working up until now and I too am working. He's working. He said he's working. That means he's working here in Metro West. He's working in the hearts and minds of people and, and lives of people around us. And if we will just lift up our eyes in submission to him, we'll see it. Where the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he do, does. It's the same with us. He loves us. And he will show us what it is that he's doing. Then we join him in his work and we follow him. That's where we start. Now, Follow me, Jesus said, and when we do, the kingdom of God will be lived out practically among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we need your mercy and your grace. We confess that we are sinners who have rebelled against you. We turn to you now from our rebellion and sin and ask that you cleanse and forgive us, not because we are worthy to receive your forgiveness, but because your son is worthy and he died in our place. Forgive us for his sake, we pray. And we thank you that you also raised him from the dead and that now he is alive. We submit to him that he might enter into our life and to be our Savior and our Lord. May he rule in our hearts and lives and make us into the kind of people that you want us to be. We do want to take your message to heart this morning, uh, Heavenly Father, and we just say that, like Christ, we would submit to you just as he did. And we ask that we will see that promise fulfilled in our life, that if we follow him, he will make us fishers of men. We pray this both for ourselves and for our church. And I ask this in Jesus' name.